Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7 as we continue our series um, on this great book, on the gospel according to Joshua, we might say. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 340, the black, black pew Bible before you. Uh, I, I said that we were going to eventually deal with this issue of, of God's judgment of what's called uh, karam or um, warfare or holy war or devoted to destruction, and we're going to deal with it today, uh, so at least part of that time. So I covet your prayers, even if you'll pray for me while I'm preaching. It's a tough topic, uh, but as we go through Scripture, we don't try not to leave anything out. We believe all of Scripture is God-breathed and, and is useful, is profitable for everything we need it for in our hearts. This is how God changes us and makes us more like himself. Uh, well, page 340 in the Pew Bible, um, Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And then he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought uh, near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hidden in the tent with his silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah. And the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold. And his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep. And his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the, the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the valley 
of Acor. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us in this time as we come to your word. Bless us now, Lord, by the movement of your spirit, that we might be given ears to hear and eyes to see, anoint the hearer and the speaker. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Nothing escapes God's perfect judgment, not even his perfect son. Nothing escapes God's perfect judgment, not even his perfect son. We had dogs growing up, um, and we had dachshunds. That's all we had were dachshunds. And over the period of my lifetime, or my lifetime, uh, my time at home, we had five different dachshunds. At one time, we had four dachshunds. And let me tell you something, dachshunds are fun, but not a herd of dachshunds. We had a small house, and four dachshunds was way too many. Um, but you know, dachshunds are not, maybe your dachshunds are different. My dachshunds, none of them were smart. Not a single one of them. In fact, little sister, my, dog, my parents' dog, we joke that if her ears are up, you can hear the wind whistling through her cranium because there's nothing in between to, to, uh, to keep it from doing so. Well, there are a couple of stories I like to think about hiding. Um, the first was about sister. And uh, one night we realized we had a, a pack of Ritz crackers missing. And uh, we didn't give it much thought. And we were all in the den together reading, I think. And then all of a sudden, there in the middle of the room is sister eating a Ritz cracker. I think, well, that's interesting. Don't give a lot of thought. And then a few minutes later, we see her eating yet another Ritz cracker. And so we, we observed sister and what she was doing. She thought she was really sneaky. She would go around the back of the sofa, go up underneath the sofa, and she had a pack of Ritz crackers. And she was taking them one by one out of the sleeve of Ritz crackers. And then she'd come into the middle of the, uh, uh, of the room and eat, uh, eat in front of us. And so we, we quickly figured out. That's my one story that speaks of sister actually having some intellect. The other, however, was uh, sister and my dog, Bandit. I got him for my 11th birthday. It was near Christmas, and we learned early on that we can't leave any kind of presents under the tree that involve any kind of food because it's just going to get torn up. And so we had, it's a miracle they survived. That's why I can tell the story. We had a box of chocolates. And, uh, and we, they were wrapped, and we put them on a shelf. And somehow, climbing up chairs and tables, they got these chocolates. And somehow they, they unwrapped the whole thing. They pulled off the lid and ate every one of the chocolates. All that was left was just those little paper uh, trays. Now, we, we wouldn't have known about it until the next day, except sister came upstairs to get in bed with my parents. And she was like, she couldn't make any noise. So my father looked and she had gotten into a peanut butter chocolate piece of candy and her mouth was peanut buttered shut. (laughs) Praise the Lord they survived all that chocolate. I tell you that to say that they tried to hide what they did from us. And try, try mightily they did, but they couldn't. They couldn't hide from us. Similarly, we can hide nothing from God. We can hide nothing from God. There's nothing that escapes his attention or his gaze. The things that we try the hardest to hide are the things he knows all the more. And this morning we see that Achan, we looked at his sin last week at length and look at it again this morning, 
Achan tried to hide from God and from his people uh, this terrible sin that he had, he had committed, but it just didn't turn out that well for him. The fact is that, we, that nothing escapes the perfect judgment of God, not even his perfect son. Well, as we pick up our story from last week, you'll remember that, that Achan had stolen three items. Uh, silver in today's value worth about $1,000, gold worth about $20,000, and, a, and a, a coat from Shinar, which apparently was quite beautiful. And as we closed our time last week, we, we left Joshua and the elders falling down before the Ark of the Covenant, asking God, why had you brought us out of, um, out of Egypt and out of the wilderness and now over the Jordan River only that the nations might annihilate us. Remember, they had suffered defeat at Ai uh, last week. We pick up the verse in verse 10. Um, God takes control of the situation. See, all that Joshua can think of is that God has forsaken his people, but in verse 10, we learn that something else entirely was going on. And God says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face before me? Let me tell you what's happened. I, I haven't been unfaithful. The problem is, in verse 11, is that Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their belongings. And as a result, because these devoted things were in the camp, Israel had become devoted to destruction. We'll talk about what that means here in a few minutes. We might consider it, uh, compare it to radioactivity. You know, radioactivity is one of those things, if you work in a lab with radioactivity, with radioactive elements, you have to go through precise procedures every time you come in and come out, lest you willingly or unwillingly bring out radiation with you. And if you were to bring out a radioactive element, your whole house, everyone you would come into contact with would now be radioactive. This is what has happened with the sin of Achan. He's taken something that belongs to God. And belongs another thing that belongs to be destroyed. And he has brought them into the, into the camp. And now because he has done so, all the camp has been slated for destruction. God is going to say, hey, you better take care of this. You better destroy this thing or I'm going to destroy you. You know, when we think about it, Achan was pretty foolish, wasn't he? He had seen God provide manna in the wilderness He'd heard stories of his parents' generation that to disobey the Lord in such a way, a high-handed way, always spells disastrous, disastrous results. He had seen the Lord dry up the, Jer- the Jordan River, and he had seen the Lord bring down the walls of Jericho, probably 75 feet high. How could he honestly think that he could get away with this sin and God wouldn't know about it? Even in light of the great defeat of Ai. Even in light of 36 people being killed, even in light of the the hearts of all of Israel melting and the elders and Joshua disappearing because they are in such, um, uh, um, they're so mournful of what has happened to escape to go and be before the Lord. He still doesn't come clean. How many times did Achan have an opportunity to come clean and he doesn't? God tells Joshua, in verse 13, to, to gather the people. Because tomorrow we're going to have a, a holy convocation, a grand assembly, and we're going to find out exactly who it is who took this from me and this thing that was devoted from, for destruction. Now, this wasn't for God's benefit, was it? 
This wasn't a lineup so that God's memory might be jogged as to, oh yeah, it was Achan. We can't hide anything from God. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we do. Even before we do them, he knows them much better indeed than we do. It says a lot about Achan that he never came forward to confess his sin, doesn't it? How many times had he taken out the gold and the silver to weigh them and to hold them? Did he, did he stay up late at night till after everybody had gone to sleep to pull them out to look at them? Man, that's a nice bar of gold. Did he put on the cloak every night and walk around his tent wonder, just reveling in how wonderfully it, it fit him? Of all the ones I could have stolen, I, I bought the one, I stole the one that fits me. I mean, this is a man who cherished his sin even when the assembly was announced, he didn't come forward. He didn't come forward. So the next day comes. And the people arrive, and either they or their representatives, probably the representatives, there are a lot of Israelites. And Achan is chosen. Now we know this from 7 verse 1. We know his lineage. And so as the, as the tribes are brought forward, the tribe of Judah is chosen. And surely he would have thought, man, somebody else in Judah stole something? I know I'm not, I know I won't get away with it. But then the clan of the Zarahites got chosen. Then the household of Zabdi was chosen. And then as they came man by man, he was chosen. Yet he never came forward on his own will, did he? See, his heart had been hardened by sin. And, and sin does this to us, especially, especially um, hidden, repetitive sin. There's, of course, the difference between repentant sin and unrepentant sin. Repentant sin that we all struggle with every day with, with sins, usually particular struggles. But this man wasn't struggling with his sin at all. He loved his gold, he loved his silver, he loved his cloak, and he wasn't coming forward. He thought he could hide it from God. Finally, Joshua comes to him in verse 20. And Achan answered, Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. If you notice the progression here, he saw, he coveted, and he took. If you look at Genesis 3, 6, when, when Eve saw... She desired and she took. This is how sin works. It's a very slippery thing once we start paying attention to something that we might sinfully want. He saw and he coveted and he took. But it's actually much worse than that. If we start thinking about all the things, all the commandments of God that he broke. First of all, he broke God's command in Deuteronomy chapter 20 of of how they were to take the promised land. But he also broke the first commandment, have no other gods before me, because 7 verse 1 tells us that all sin is adultery, and he had gone against his God. He broke the eighth commandment to not steal. He broke the ninth commandment not to lie. When we hide things, that is breaking the ninth commandment. Uh, He broke the tenth commandment, don't covet. This man's done a lot. But if we're honest, we do as well. So when we read Achan's story, it seems ridiculous that he would try to hide these things from the Lord and from the people. But you know what? We do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. 
Sin is seductive, and the thrill of that which is forbidden adds to the allure of transgressing God's law. We don't sin because it isn't fun. We sin because Satan knows how to use just the right kind of bait to make us want it. It seems that Achan's love for the gold and the silver and the cloak was greater than his love for the Lord or the well-being of his fellow Israelites. Sin has a, a way of blinding us to the realities of the situation. And we deceive ourselves that we can leave a, lead a, a normal and productive life with sin hidden in our hearts. There are times, I think, when we hide sin for two, two different reasons. The first is we just love the sin and don't want to give it up. I think it's pretty obvious that's, that's unhelpful. But sometimes we do it because we're ashamed. There's a certain shame that comes with sin that's probably good. But sometimes we're ashamed to come clean. We hate our sin. We think if we ever opened up and actually told somebody what we've done or struggle with, then either they or God will no longer love us anymore. What a powerful tool of Satan that is. See, Satan likes us to to, to be holed up, to hide our sins even deeper and darker. He likes to make us think that we're the only ones that struggle with X, Y, and Z. We're the only ones who have ever done this, that, or the other. Scripture tells us that we all struggle only with things that are common to man. And God has dealt not only with our guilt on the cross, but he has dealt with the shame of the cross. He has not only dealt with our, the sin of our, our, our the, the guilt of our sin on the cross, he's also de- dealt with the shame of our sin on the cross. You think about that. He was naked. We paint him as clothed because that's the you know, good thing to do in polite society, but he was naked on the cross. He was the God of, of the whole universe, the maker of heaven and earth, and he was naked, nailed to a couple pieces of wood. Could there ever be greater shame? But God has dealt with our shame as well. And that's why when we believe the gospel, we can, we can be open and honest that yes, I struggle with this, that, or the other. But you know what? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My sin has been dealt with. That's why I can be honest. My sin has been dealt with. That's why I can ask for help. This is where you go, by the way, for help. You go to the church. You don't have to tell everybody all your stuff. You come to the church. This is the church where we come. We come for help. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Nothing escapes God's perfect judgment, not even his perfect son. Well, this this text continues, verses 22 and 23. Joshua sends his messengers to get the the spoil from uh, Achan's tent. And they bring it back and they spill it out before the Lord and Joshua and all the people. Um, And then it gets a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's in a slap on the wrist kind of situation. See, Achan and his sons and his daughters and his donkeys and his oxen and his sheep... And all of his stuff, including his tent and the spoil, they are led to the valley of Achor. And there, Joshua looks at him and says, why, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord 
brings trouble on you today. The Hebrew actually says, why you trouble us, the Lord troubles you this day. And then they all take stones. They stone Achan and all of his family and all of his stuff. And his name is wiped off from the face of the earth. There will no longer be anyone who has in his lineage the son of Achan. It makes us uncomfortable. And there's tension here that I can't fully resolve and I don't know that I should. There is something here that, 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 that appalls us. That not just Achan, but his whole family would die for this. I don't have all the answers, but I want to make it worse before I make it better. Because as we, as we open up the, the lens a little bit, as we go wider, we see that the, the problem is much more um, appalling to our modern senses because when God told, Abraham, uh, God told the people to go into the promised land, what did he say? He said, you shall kill everybody in the promised land. Everybody. Some cities will be completely destroyed. Others will be looted and that's okay. That's, that's, given, that's granted by the Lord. But you're to kill everybody. That's not easy, is it? We believe in the word of God. We believe it is good. And we believe that God is good. So there's something going on here. The problem is not with the word, it's with us. But there's something going on here that is unique. It doesn't mean that in every time of warfare now, modern warfare, that we're called to do this. In fact, it doesn't mean that at all. This is a specific time in the word of God where God says you must do this. And it is for two very important reasons. And the first is that God knew if the people remained in the promised land, then they would turn away from him and turn to their gods. Two generations it took. Two generations. Joshua, I mean, Judges 1 and 2 tells us this is exactly what happened. That they didn't drive out all the people. They didn't kill everybody. They didn't, they didn't drive everybody out of the land. They entered into covenant with some of them and they, they did forced labor for others. And some, they had turned away from the Lord so much that the Lord no longer fought for them. And they were pockets of Canaanites still in the promised land. Within two generations, they had turned away from the Lord and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. He had called them to do this so that he might protect his relationship with them. And when they didn't do it, they turned from God. But the second, and I think this is where the rubber meets the road for us, is you know what? We all deserve judgment. I think most of the time our problem with this is that we think we're good. We think anybody is good. And therefore, any time that God brings judgment on anyone, it is unfair. There there is a day coming, known as the day of judgment, where everyone will stand before the Lord. And those who do not know Jesus will be cast into eternal fire. And so in this text, we see the judgment of God breaking in into real time and space history. God has taken what will come and he's brought it a little early. But I think to understand it properly, we have to remember that that we deserve that treatment. We deserve that treatment. The Canaanites only received what all peoples then and now deserve. And any peoples who have been spared are so spared only by God's grace, as one author puts it. No one is righteous. No No one seeks after God, including me, including you. These weren't nice people. 
Leviticus 18 tells us they practice incense, adultery, homosexual activity, bestiality, and the worst was child sacrifice. I won't go into the details of that. It'll give you nightmares. It was horrendous. These weren't nice people, but here's the thing, neither are we. Neither are we. The fact is, no one escapes the judgment of God, the perfect judgment of God, not even his perfect son. And this is where we find our hope. This is where the yes is stronger than God's no. This is where he comes and says, yes, but. God doesn't sweep the sins of anybody under the rug. No one escapes God's judgment. We, we who are saved, we haven't escaped God's judgment. Our judgment's been paid for. Judgment's been satisfied. We just haven't been the one to, to satisfy it. For God has poured out in his son the wrath that you and I, that we deserve. While it is true that nothing, no sin, and no one can escape the perfect of justice of God, for the Christian, that judgment has been laid on another. And therefore, we can say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Christ has paid it all. There's a fountain filled with blood. It is here that we have our sins taken away and, and Christ has taken every bit of the punishment for us. This Kerem warfare, it's called in Hebrew, Kerem warfare, has been poured out on his son the band, the devoted to destruction, depending on your, on your translation, it is important on a sign that we might have peace and that we might have life. Do you know the Savior who has taken this kind of judgment on himself for you? Do you know the Savior who has done this for you? He died that you might have life. He died that he might take the condemnation for your sin. My friends, he's coming back. Lord, hasten the day. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that your love is perfect and that justice has been dealt. But Lord, as people who have received your mercy, it has been dealt not upon us, but upon your Son, Jesus. For we who are far off have been brought near by his death and resurrection. Lord, I thank you we pray that you, O oh Jesus, would come again and come again soon. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.